1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody, you're drinking water today? Yeah, I, I, uh, yes. I, I had some pizza. And uh, it had like a lot of cheese on it. And it kind of upset my stomach a little bit, I think. And I went, I went to the to the whiskey to pour myself a whiskey, and the smell of it, and like, so yeah, I'm drinking water. First time, first podcast ever, I didn't have a whiskey, so I'll probably be at the top of my game. You guys might just want to stand by and watch what happens. <laughs> well, I'm sure the guest uh, is, you know, super interested in your cheese pizza and the millions of people that listen to the roundup on a weekly basis. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely all. Well, all Matt Drury, welcome to the Roundup. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Uh, we do not, um, we don't give quarter on the Roundup. <laughs> we will push back on your opinions. Uh, feel free to push back on our opinions. And uh, it's, it should be a good time. I told somebody that uh, I was uh, I was getting ready to do this tonight. I said, so if tomorrow you check Drury Outdoors and all of a sudden it's out of out of business, I said something I shouldn't have. <laughs> no, I didn't bet it first. <laughs> no, you're going to be fine. I don't think we had anything. You know, there's no turkey links on here and there's no whitetail links on here. It's all, you know, way out of the the the, 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 the Drury Lane, right? That's right. It's not hard to get out of that lane. We have a say, it's funny you say that because we've said it for a long time. Anytime that we get out of our lane, 
we get knocked in the mouth. So we try to stay in our lane because it's what we've, it's just, we've, you know, Mark and Terry, we they grew up in the Midwest and we're just a Midwestern company that we've been blessed to be around the whitetail and turkey habitat. And, and so that's what we're, that's what we know, you, you know what I right. mean? And so we've stayed in our lane and we've made a, you know, a 32 year career out of it, so to speak. So Matt, how are you related? Like, Cody and I were trying to figure it out whether you were son, nephew, or both. Both. So Terry. Hey, is, Cody, yeah. you're right. Yeah, Terry well, was my father. that I was right. If, <laughs> listen, they're brothers, Robbie. If he's his son, then he's also a nephew. It, he had it a 50 chance. <laughs> I, like, Robbie thought I was a genius for going, I bet he's his son and a nephew because they're brothers yeah so anyway, i didn't mean to interrupt i'm sorry that's all right i make a lot of fun of robbie that's what that's my role yeah i like it that's uh i i have a podcast of my own 100 percent wild podcast and the co-host and i have a very similar relationship so uh your no co-host have a ridiculous accent no no i wish okay. because we'd sound a lot more <laughs> intelligent i tell you that you just stick that accent on anybody it just right. it makes it sound so much better no, but so, Terry is my father. Mark is my uncle. And those two are 10 years apart. Terry's the oldest. And uh, they started the business and they started filming in 1988. And uh, we, we launched our first title called King of the Spring, a turkey hunting tape in 1989. So I would have been eight, eight years old. Wow. Well, that's awesome. And uh, again, we're just, we're happy to have you. And, um, you know, as, 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 as we roll through these topics and, and conversations, feel free again, you know, push back on our opinions and Cody's opinions and, and whatnot. Yes, Cody. Well, I just, I just want to legitimately say that I, I started, I got out of the Marine Corps in 97 um, and truthfully, your dad and and uncle they were doing like i was kind of critical of hunting celebrities or you know people that were using a camera to hunt hunting to get fam I, I really feel like your dad and 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 brother i i, I want to put will primos in that camp too of guys that we could relate to as just midwest hunters i'm a kansas guy um yeah. so kudos for that it, it wasn't like it was all this they flew off in some jet to some high-end lodge and had a deer right there you know it it seemed like they were hunting right and and uh it it turned me to where i started watching hunting shows um as before when i watched them i felt like i needed to go win the powerball to do what these guys were doing um I, so kudos to your dad and uncle for for being uh relatable i guess to somebody that just got out of the Marine Corps and couldn't afford new arrows, let alone to go on a guided trip. Right. So anyway, well, that's I appreciate that. I appreciate your service first and foremost and, and, uh, appreciate the kind words, you know, when they started, they were truly a couple blue, blue collar guys. Uh, my dad, his background is he's a civil engineer and, uh, he owned a construction company and their father, my grandpa, he was a construction guy that's just all they ever knew was you know you work hard and if you want something you go get it and 
you know, I think anybody that knows Drury Outdoors today, it's much different 32 years later, but it's because of the hard work and effort they put in like the nineties were, you know, they never made any money in, in doing this. It was, how can we continue to maybe go on an out of state hunt or, you know, anywhere that they could drive to basically. Right. You know right. what I mean? It, it's evolved in a, a much different company today. Uh, but the, the beginnings were pretty humble for sure. It's good stuff. So Matt, why don't we throw you right into the fire and uh, you sent us, you sent me an email. I don't know if Cody, were you on this email or not? No, you weren't. So no, I always get left out. Cody will research. be cold on this one. You sent an article that is making its way around the uh, hunting community right now from Outdoor Life. Yep. And it's tied to the duck hunters that died on real foot, a very tragic accident. And just you know, super mysterious. Nobody really knows what's happening and whatnot, but you sent an article that uh, had a, a, a sort of blow by blow account by the survivor. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty interesting. I, I found myself, I saw it. I originally saw the story when it happened and thought, man, this seems really strange. Like this is you just don't really, and I'm sure, you know, in other countries and, and areas where, you know, poaching is such a serious thing and it has different kind of consequences. Like you might see this type of stuff in the hunting community from time to time, but you don't really see a lot of this in the States here. And so it really caught my eye at the time. And then I started seeing it on social media yesterday and I, I took the time to read it. And I'm glad I did because man, to me reading through the, the, like you said, the blow by blow, it was almost like reading a fiction, uh, uh, novel, honestly, like, I don't know if you've ever read the books by Bobby Cole, the dummy line or any of the Bobby Cole books. Um, but it reminded me, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and, and of those, of his line of books. It reminded me of that. Like, is this real? Is this really how it happened? Like, this seems like there's a, something missing here, but I really felt for the main, the, the survivor, uh, and I don't recall his name, Crabtree maybe was the, yep, his Crabtree name. Crabtree is his name. Man, I felt for the guy because you think, what if this would have happened to me, you know, out there and, and nobody sur survives it except for you? Like you could see where in social media today, people would question every ounce of a story like that. And it may have happened exactly like he said it. And, and I kind of, I believe it did, frankly. Right, right. You know? No, it is a crazy story. Did you read it at all, Cody? Did you come across it in Outdoor Life? No, I'm trying to scroll it now, but is there a is there a 30 second synopsis? Go ahead, Matt. Well, basically, there's a there's a, a gentleman that's lifelong uh, duck hunter. Uh, he looked like he could have been a Robertson, you know, one, exactly. one of those guys. And uh, so he's hunting uh, like his buddies kind of stop hunting and he keeps hunting. And so he's starting to hunt with younger and younger uh, uh, crowd. And it, it looked like he was hunting with a, a couple 20 year olds or I, I don't remember their age, but it, it couldn't have been 1920, somewhere in there, 23, something like that. And so they're out on uh, real foot uh, in Tennessee, I believe. Yep. And uh, this was the blind that they drew at the beginning of the season and they had the rights to hunt it you know, it, it was a public thing and they had the right to hunt this public blind the whole time and, and only them. And there's another blind that's kind of across the lake, not far, that's private. 
And um, so there was some kind of mysterious drama between those two uh, duck, you know, blinds through the season. But apparently all that got squashed. There was, you know, no ill will. Well, this morning of this hunt, it was real stormy out. There wasn't a lot of people out. And this Crabtree, the survivor, and these two young boys uh, went hunting. And this Crabtree was apparently kind of in the back or something of the blind. And all of a sudden he hears like, hey, somebody pulled up in 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 a boat. And some, he's asking if he can hunt with us. And uh, before, before this guy knows it, all of a sudden this gentleman, kind of mysterious gentleman, comes into the blind and the gun goes off. And they hear uh, one of the guys fall into the water. Right. So this, the survivor, Crabtree, his instinct is to kind of push this guy back. And he goes over and him and his other buddy pull the body out of the water. And at this time, I don't know if they know if he's passed or, or not, but, you know, they're like kind of hitting the, oh, crap button. Like we got to get, we got to get him to, you know, a hospital or whatever. So they all get in the boat and this mysterious person also gets in the boat with him and he's got a gun. He's still, he's got a gun. There's a gun somehow he gets a hold of. And on the ride back to the loading dock, he shoots the other kid. And so then, a, you know, kind of a quarrel happens there between this survivor and this gentleman. And who turns out he, he was like 70, 74, something like, he was a little bit older. Yep. And um, David Val. And apparently he had just in his mind found out like, he had self-diagnosed that he had dementia and he had told his wife that, and he had told his hunting buddies this days before, you know, just not very long before that. And that afternoon, him and his wife were going to go to the doctors to officially get tested. He had not officially been diagnosed. So the, the, the thing is, people think that he might have had an episode this day and that are, who knows, maybe he was just having, he's struggling with the impending, you know, uh, doom that he felt he was going to ha- go, go into because I think his mother had dementia as well. So anyways, everybody that knows this guy says this is the weirdest, most out of character thing. He's not like this. He's a gentle guy, so out of character. So anyhow, back to the boat. There's a fight breaks out. This uh, survivor, Crabtree, he grabs the gun and he kind of hits this gentleman over the head with it. And he, and he pushed him out of the boat or he fell out of the boat. And so then he takes off and this guy's like, he's looking back to make sure he doesn't pull a pistol and shoot him. But he's looking back and he said, the guy's like getting to his feet. So he just knew where he last saw this guy. So he gets to, uh, you know, gets to somebody's home. They call 911. They call all the agencies. Everybody converge on this guy and on, on the two young men that had unfortunately passed away by the time, you know, any EMS or anybody shows up. And so they start questioning Crabtree, the survivor. And so he took him where he felt like he last saw the guy. 
and they don't find them. So they put out like a, you know, kind of all points bulletin saying this guy's armed and, and dangerous and, you know, be, be on the lookout. Well, I think two days later, they found his body close to like 300, 400 yards away from where he had last been seen and he, and he had passed. What they think happened is he passed from hypothermia. It was like January 28th or 29th or something like right, that. So right. that, that's the, it wasn't 30 seconds, but that's- No, that was the 30 second story, Cody. Yeah, it, it's well <laughs> worth read. Outdoor Life did a fantastic job on this one. I did. I scanned it a little bit, and you know that's a freakish story. It has to be a, a legitimate nightmare for, obviously, a nightmare for the families. I don't want to a, a horrible thing, but can you imagine how much doubt law enforcement has as well as they hear that? Like, man, what do we do here? Do we believe that? Because obviously, a guy rolls up in a boat with two bodies, um, and he's basically unscathed that's uh not really uh tragic obviously first of all a horrible story but uh crazy too i mean crazy 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 yeah story. two two young men lose their life and and uh obviously a, a respected you know older gentleman that by all accounts was nothing but a great guy and just a weird set of circumstances and and uh very very unfortunate event Absolutely. Where do you want to go next, Cody? Matt, since you are our guest, we'll let you choose the final topic that, uh, or any other topic you want to bring up to the table. You know, I, I, first of all, I, when I, when you sent the links over and I started reading them and I'm like, man, I, I'm a little fish out of water here because this is not, like I said, we stay in our lane. I know whitetails, I know turkeys, and I know a little bit about big game in the States. But I did thoroughly enjoy reading the articles and I did some of my own homework and reached out to some people to, awesome. to get some input. Like, I don't ever want to go into something like unprepared, right? Um, so th there was a couple of neat articles that you had. Well, first of all, and we don't have to dive into it very deep, but that Texas article on the exotic, I thought that was awesome. Amazing. So big story is, you know, in 2020 there, obviously not only did the pandemic hit, but Texas got hit with that crazy ice storm that knocked, you know, a lot of people didn't have power for a long time and, you know, they weren't getting food and, and, and everything. Well, there was food banks that donate, you know, that wild game hunters feeding the hungry, which is something that we've participated in a long, for a long time. They weren't allowed to utilize exotic game meat which is something that's a pretty big deal down there. I mean, there right. are a lot of exotics down in Texas and you always hear everybody say nothing's better than access, you know, meat. And, and there's a lot of good meat that could have been given out there. So there was a bill proposed, I guess, to, um, to allow exotic meat uh, and got signed in. And so now that's something that they can do down there in Texas. I thought that was a, a feel good story for once. Yeah, hundred percent. Texas house bill 2213 passed the house chamber 144 to one. I'd like to know who the one was. <laughs> Robbie, what was there a, do you know the reasoning of why they couldn't before? Was there a legitimate scientific health reason that, I mean, 
the Axis deer that are being shot in Texas are 50th generation Axis, right? I mean, they weren't like imported from another country last year. Was there a legitimate health concern there or was it just something somebody made up and made a rule? Um, it's, it's a very good question. I do not know the answer to whether or not it had anything to do with... Um, don't be cheering that I don't know the answer to that. My whole goal was just to stump you. It doesn't matter. They can eat it now. We Let's move on. Next topic. There's going to be I a whole you. segment called Stump Robbie. <laughs> right. And I just – Cody won. I want to add one more piece of that. So in Missouri, we just last year passed uh, – our Governor Parsons passed a bill in, in the law that uh, – so Hunters Feeding the Hungry has been around since 92 in Missouri, but they finally allowed like snack sticks or – other things because it was always pre-packaged ground meat was the end result of what would be donated to food shelves or whatever and, and or food pantries and so last year they passed that in the law where we can now get things made into you know uh summer sausage or sticks or jerky and i thought that was pretty that was pretty awesome because there's so many ways that you can eat wild game that are so much even better than just the ground up version. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was cool, but they, they had 17 meal, 17 million meals were provided in 2019 in Missouri. So, you, you know, you start looking at, you start adding up all the States that participate in this, these types of programs. And it, it's, I mean, that alone should be something that a non hunter could get on board. You're literally yeah, feeding people that are going hungry, Yeah, you know, like, yeah, we just funded the Hunters for the Hungry program in Wyoming, $23,000. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's a great little project. Great little, um, great little project. Well, top of the hour, I've been stumped. So I'm going to call this a day and tuck my tail. Hold on. I got, I got one thing real quick. I want to <laughs> know, um, because it's, it's not something that we really do. And, and by all means, Matt came um, of his own accord. I can you. I genuinely want to hear about. If I said to you, I said to you, what is DeerCast? Yeah, yeah. I don't. It, it's. I'm. I'm playing a little. I kind of know the answer more than I'm playing, but I would like that explanation if possible. Sure. So Mark and Terry are very analytical guys, right? And they've spent a lot of time in the whitetail woods. And so over the last three decades, and really it's been longer than that because they've obviously they hunted for decades before they started the company, but over the last two decades specifically, they really started honing in on what makes a whitetail move in their opinion, like what triggers it, weather, weather definitely has a huge effect on what triggers a whitetail to move and especially a mature whitetail. And so with the advent of trail cameras, you know, probably a decade or so back, it allowed them to start putting the missing pieces of the puzzle together. What was happening at night? Like they, they would know, hey, I sat here all day, every day of the season, four months. And all I know is the deer disappeared during this period, that period, and this period. I don't know why. Trail cameras allowed them to figure out the why. And so we sat down one day and, and, and our TV show 13, if anybody's ever seen it, it's, it's a lot about trying to help people understand whitetails and how you could 
try to be put in a good position to see a whitetail while you're hunting, right? That's the ultimate goal. And so we took what they knew from, you know, years of hunting and we kind of established that we felt like there was about 13 different phases of a deer season. It doesn't matter what kind of farm you're on. There's always debate. Well, you guys are on private farms or I hunt public or what makes a whitetail move, right? There's triggers. And so we basically broke it down into the, what we call the 13 phases of the season. And we said each phase, different things make a deer react differently. So whether it was barometric pressure turn into 30 in the, you know, September, or it needs to be 30.45 in December, when weather's different, when things are different, when they're feeling different, like those are the things that we put together and there's 13 weather variables, 13 or 14 weather variables. We created an algorithm. We worked with an app developer. He actually had a background as a pilot as well. So he understood weather and how weather interacts with each other, different weather variables. And so we put this algorithm together that if you input your data as far as your zip code or where you're hunting, and so it kind of slides the scale to the country, basically, like we know this, the South, ha their season's a little different than the Midwest and the Northeast is a little bit different than the South, you know, the, the Southeast. So you put your data in of where you're at location wise and the, the algorithm pumps out a prediction of how we feel the deer will move that day at any given hour. It's hourly prediction. We use weather channel, we teamed up with IBM. We use weather channels, API. And so that's the weather data that it's feeding. And it's formulating a, a great, a good, a okay, bad and poor prediction for every hour. And, and it doesn't just stop there because it's one thing to be told, hey, it's gonna be a good day to go hunting, but it, what do I need to do now? And our thing all along for 30 years has been teaching what the mistakes we've made and the things that we've learned. So Mark and Terry break down each of those weather variables and far each phase and say, hey, today, you know, the wind is 16 miles an hour. This is why the deer are going to react the way they're reacting because of this variable. And we break down each one of those. So it's, we launched it in 2018 and within the first month we had like 50,000 downloads of the app like it went Jeez. crazy we couldn't believe it and i think last year we had over a million people use the app um you know in just three short seasons we got some really cool features that we're coming out with this year and i think it's going to be a, a a big deal one-stop shop if you will for people and and a little bit of everything in there for for the whitetail guy so that's a very quick rundown of it i appreciate you asking no, no, I was, I was genuinely, and I, I understood at the surface level, you know, what it does, having that, having that bit of background on how it works. And uh, I think it's pretty cool when you partner with I, I, IBM to pull an API from the weather channel to help deer hunters. That's technology helping deer hunters at its finest right there. You know, the interesting part about that, there's a guy on their team, he's from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and he was a, he's a hunter and he was a, a fan of what we were doing. And, and he's like, man, this is unbelievable. Like, this is a no brainer. Like IBM, they are, I'm sure any of these big tech companies, they love to see how their tech can be used in other applications. 
t totally different application to use it, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, that blew me away. I had no idea. I'll be completely honest and I'm, I feel completely fine being completely honest because that's who I am. That Deercast, honestly, I thought it was like a streaming service. I thought that's what Deercast was. And so now I don't. <laughs> you know, and there's that too. Our entire video library is on there. A couple hundred titles are on there. Our TV stuff isn't. Uh, that's over on MOTV. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's there too. And there's a social element, a social feed. Like when things were kind of hitting the fan and people were, you know, losing their their social platforms. Uh, you know, we had Deercast there for the hunter, the outdoorsman, the outdoors person, mm -hmm. like here's a solution, you know, and, and even we could, you know, we're on Apple and Android. I mean, anybody could be shut down, but we pride ourselves on trying to teach people, trying to, you know, educate, which is big, even in not, the non-hunting community. If you, if you could show that you're educating, it's not just in entertainment or infotainment, it's, education you have something there especially in this world where people are so interested in a field to fork you know knowing where their meat comes from uh we're trying to provide a platform where people can go on there and it's a welcome thing no matter what your expertise is everyone's welcome you know and, and we watch it really closely it's small enough still that we can control the the bad actors that may come in you yeah. know so, yeah. so that's important well, Matt, we're, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for you at being a fan of Blood Origins. And uh, we can't wait to see what the future holds between Drury Outdoors and Blood Origins and see what we can do. I'm a fan. You guys are, are out providing content in a way that has not been done before, in my opinion, in our space. And it's talking to both sides of the aisle, something that was desperately needed. We all talk about it all the time. Our numbers are declining. How can we get more people invested into the space? Well, we're just talking to each other and you're talking to others. And that's what we need. I'm a fan. I have been for, for a while now and uh, keep up the good work because we need it. And uh, we look forward to having you guys contribute in DeerCast uh, anytime you want. Thank you. Cody, any last words? Constant no, no, I, I don't think so. Great episode. Great, great conversations. I like the conversation. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.